Good morning, or good afternoon, or good evening, whatever one it is for you. This is Ash Hurry with Film Exploration, and we continue with Season 3, more specifically Part 2 of our Halloween special, where we shall talk about the 1979 sci-fi horror, Alien, directed by Ridley Scott and starring Sigourney Weaver, Ian Holmes, John Hurt, and Tom Skerritt. This is Ridley's only horror movie that he's ever done, and he has quite a long list of films on his CV. He's pretty much covered every genre. However, he's only taken one stab at horror, and it's turned out to be a classic in the genre itself. Creating one of the most fictitious monsters in cinema history, spawning three sequels with other directors stepping in with the likes of James Cameron, David Fincher, and introducing young actors who were unknown at the time, like a young Sigourney Weaver and a young Winona Ryder. Ridley then returned to the franchise with two more sequels, starting with Prometheus in 2016, and then again with its sequel of Alien Covenant, following on from the characters of Prometheus, more of an origin story of the creature, or as it's known, the Xenomorph. Ridley's use of camera and storytelling, really bringing the audience in the Nostramo ship, really expresses great things about a director. He solidifies as the audience's place in the ship. You are on board with the seven crew members in this movie. He brings the story down to its core, a film about survival amongst a small amount of people. The film works simply because Ridley Scott knows how to build up character and create a really charged atmosphere, no matter where the location is, whether it's the Colosseum in Gladiator or Mars in The Martian or the Utopia city in Blade Runner or simply a car in Thelma or Louise there is no doubt of the capability of Ridley Scott and his desire to really cement the audience's feet in the diegetic world of the movie so let's talk about aliens more specifically the actual aliens not the films because you know the concept of things being from another world really scared me when I was a kid really brought shivers down my spine I mean it's a vague term for things living that are from out of space, and we are led to believe it looks like small men with two big eyes and no mouth. Well, that's the light-hearted or not-so-light-hearted stereotype anyways. That's how Hollywood have been portraying aliens in movies before 1979, mainly in the 50s. Little Green Men was the usual stereotype of these out-of-earth visitors. You see, in the 1950s, and this was way before Roswell, there was a few sightings of alien beings, mainly in like rural areas of America, more famously the one in Kentucky, where two men in 1955 uh, described a supposed encounter with metallic silver somewhat humanoid looking aliens no more than four feet high which is just short of a meter and as things have progressed in both actual encounters and interpretations in cinemas alien usually now have a big head with a small body but as things have adapted through the 60s and 70s the idea is to make them bigger which in effect makes them more scarier not many have done it commercially as in, in the success of aliens and predator where they have used a hundred people going over the design of an original creature stemming off the original stereotype of an alien with the xenomorph in this film which is what they call the uh, alien in this movie we keep the idea of its big head but add updated and more sci-fi elements to this creature to make it more appealing which in effect makes it more scarier the acid saliva the mouth within the mouth and this reptilian serpent body structure it possesses making it a formidable opponent and more importantly an interesting character in this movie and the eventual franchises to come 
Not only that, but Ridley adds, you know, elements of evolution to this alien to show it real character and furthermore, really, you know, real depth and understanding of its growth. I mean, the initial stage of the face hugger, then the baby xenomorph hatching from the chest of its victims, and then a human sized alien about six to seven feet tall. And however, not seen in this movie, but the later stage of it is a queen alien, which is like over 12 feet high and acts as the superior leader of the race. And I I think we first see that in James Cameron's movie. So um, it's quite an interesting development of this creature. So it's a classic tale of human versus beast, and films have done this heavily after this movie came out. You see the same thing in Antarctica, Predator, uh, the thing in Antarctica or Predator in the jungle, and you have it here, Aliens in Space, and more specifically, the spaceship. And it's an interesting and attractive idea to have limited amount of people stuck in isolated places faced with an unknown enemy. And Ridley was sort of the first one to do this in a successful and extremely appealing way with Alien. And it's interesting, actually, because with this movie, you never really call it an alien at any point in the movie. None of the characters call it an alien in the movie. They don't even call it anything. I mean, I think, I mean, it actually comes to, we know it as a xenomorph, and that's just through pop culture, um, but that term isn't actually used until the second movie. In fact, Ash, um, played by Ian Holmes, describes it as a perfect killing machine, which, by the way, is a massive ripoff of Jaws, by the way, which I've done an episode on. 22 if you want to listen to that um but yeah they don't call it alien or xenomorph in this movie they just pronounce they just use a pronoun it they just say it which is another reference to another movie but you know i was saying earlier about the evolution of the alien and that itself it sort of foreshadows by the infamous famous title sequence of alien if you remember the opening credits the text of alien is revealing itself one by one as we go through the opening credits and this sort of it kind of tells you that this alien is coming in many forms before revealing itself right at the end which is is exactly what it does in this movie in the and it foreshadows it in the opening sequence and there is quite a lot of foreshadowing moments in this film whether it's deliberate or not but seeming as Ridley Scott is of course deliberate and like I said before things in movies are not done by accident I mean when Kane wakes up from hypersleep um, played by John Hurt by the way he says I feel dead which again foreshadows his fate in the movie and he's the first one to wake up and he's the first one to die so there are things that Ridley add in there so, so to, you know to add this sort of extra coincidence incidental flavor and another a good another good thing with sort of Ridley Scott is this is his first and only horror movie and he uses elements done from other famous horror movies and introduces it in a way that's sort of unique to his style I mean for instance the film is inspired by Texas Chainsaw Massacre which Ridley calls one of the best horror movies ever made and I have to agree with him in some aspect and he was inspired to do something like that and it's basically the same sort of idea but in space and I mean some people and critics have called Alien a Texas Chainsaw Massacre in space and he did this thing which is what they did in Psycho which is advertise or mislead the audience and believe in who the main lead is or basically building up the characters in a way that audiences can assume they will be important later or just in fact survive because of how much screen time they have or who's playing that person because how famous they are um and you know the more famous the character usually is or the more famous the actor usually is you know the least likely they're about to die and and what hitchcock did with psychos play on this idea and kill off the main star 30 minutes in it was janet lee's face and um she was all over the posters and top billing in the movie and then she died like you know not even halfway through the movie and audiences were shocked they're like where's this movie going to go now the main lead died and this is sort of what Ridley Scott does with John Hurt in this movie who was pretty well known playing the elephant man so he was quite famous and they killed him off in the first 35 minutes I mean with a cast of seven people he's the first one to die so it was like whoa okay what's happening now and it doesn't even stop there. I mean, the captain of the ship played by Tom Skerritt dies quite early on as well. He plays Dallas and Ridley deliberately shoots him in a way where we believe he's going to be the main character. 
uh, you know, because he's a captain and of, of course of the actor playing him. And then, you know, he dies quite early on in that famous scene in the, uh, the air shaft. And the last remaining survivors, you know, minus Sigourney Weaver, who, you know, you don't expect him to be the last survivor. In fact, this movie is one of the first major fantasy sci-fi movies to feature an African-American character as one of the main leads uh, and also a hero. And this character plays a janitor in this role and he outlives the captain and the big stars of this movie and something no one really tried to do. And it's another reason of Ridley's brilliance and execution towards Alien. And now another conventional thing that's happened, you know, that's become quite apparent of horror movies is the use of women playing the victims or the target of serial killers in movies or just... Uh, or just monsters i mean what this genre allows is to really bring out a strong feminine character and exploit them as equals and more importantly enable audiences to accept women as more dominant than male let alone equals i mean ripley played by sigourney weaver its name you know the name itself is quite aggressive and it shadows her persona and sigourney weaver nails this role i mean ridley hasn't gone to extreme lengths to push his point by having her go bald or have muscles or have a deep voice or be utter masculine but instead as a sort of tomboy character who has a voice and isn't afraid to use it and we see this from her role in command which trumps her role of personal affection towards her fellow colleagues on board the ship and it's really cleverly done and i mean this formula is heavily done in horror movies where usually the main lead is a woman and this is such a good exploitation on women being stronger and more exploited to the outside world as a total badass you know sigourney and aliens or jamie lee in halloween or sarah michelle and buffy and i know what you did last summer nev campbell and scream all these women trump any male characters that could take the role because they play on the victim stereotype on a woman and turn it completely on its head and it's amazing how Ridley did this with an actress like Sigourney Weaver so with this movie I mean Alien or the Xenomorph you know preys heavily on the female characters basically using their bodies to host their pregnancy that's what the alien's basically doing and in Rosemary's Baby I don't know if anyone's seen that but the, the movie plays on women's fear about rape and unwanted pregnancy and what Ridley Scott does with Alien is the same thing but he does it from the perspective of men so in some way Alien can be considered a feminist revision of Rosemary's Baby and that's what's so great about Ridley in this movie and there are other you know there's some other examples of how Ridley has sort of incorporated the horror themes from other movies and done it in his own way and style I mean the film was done in 1979 and really had had full authority to do whatever he did with the characters he even wanted to add sort of casual sex scenes in this movie because of the idea of deep space exploration happening over the course of decades and you know the film would never hint at the fact that these characters were not having sex and really didn't like the fact that the sci-fi genres weren't addressing that because Ridley you know, finally manages to do it with Prometheus, with Idris Elba and Charlie Theron, but it just expresses how ahead of time he was and how he was thinking with these movies and how authentic these sort of characters should be. I mean, the movie itself was sort of the first of many to come involving this creature of the alien or xenomorph, as it's called. I mean, the movie was an instant hit with a budget of around $10 million, and it grossed over $110 million globally. So it was a massive hit, especially for a horror movie. And it received rave reviews in terms of its raw approach to a space movie. I mean, the movie could have happened anywhere, but Ridley chose space as a sort of character with its own characteristic elements, which just adds flavor to the sort of, you know situation that these crew members are in at the moment i was looking at a um article from danny boyle and he quoted um i don't know i think it was a times magazine he said that if you look closely at the history of um movie directors who've done movies on space movies they tend never really to revisit it they usually do one space movie and that's it 
um, with the exception of Ridley Scott. So if you look at Kubrick, he did 2001 and he never went back. Uh, Christopher Nolan's done Inception, not Inception, Interstellar, sorry, and they never went back. Uh, Danny Boyle did Sunshine, never went back. Ron Howard did Apollo 13 and never went back. So it's a very hard genre to do and to sort of do consistently. And Ridley came back to it, of course, way back in 2012 or 15, one of those dates, I can't remember, with Prometheus, and, um, and then again with The Martian, and then once again he did Alien Covenant. And this just shows how comfortable he is making this type of genre. He doesn't necessarily exploit it as much as the others do. He simply uses the theme of space, or should I say character of space, as a backdrop for the important things going on within the human human aspects of the film. He doesn't sugarcoat space with looking at gravity or time travel, or any of that attractive stuff to do with space. He just uses it as a location and he's you know the only director to sort of revisit space that many times with his confidence and not even george lucas has done that and speaking of george lucas i read that uh, i read something else that was quite interesting to do with the alien franchise so in a nutshell it means that the star wars movies and the alien movies could potentially happen in the same universe because in 2009 disney acquired 21st century fox for 71.3 billion that was last year by the way so it, it, basically, it, that meant that it acquired Alien, Predator, Avatar, the X-Men, and Planet, Planet of the Apes franchise, along with their parent studio. So consequently, you know, consequently, that it means if unofficially makes the franchise intimately connected to Lucasfilm stars, which means it's connected to Star Wars, and then of course Disney acquired that for four billion in 2012. So technically speaking, you know, Avatar, X Men, Planet of the Apes, Predator, Alien, and Star Wars are technically owned by the same studio now, which means they can you know cross universe. So I thought that may be a possibility in years to come. Probably will with the way things are going at the moment. No originality at all with the amount of sequels bleeding out. So they will probably splice these universes together at some point. So just don't be surprised when you see the X-Men fighting on a planet with aliens and avatars flying over them or something like that. Or Han Solo fighting the Xenomorph. So I'll talk a little bit more about the film in terms of its setup. I mean, it's quite simple when you watch it. And the main sort of premise for the movie is about this alien. And we're led to believe it's the main plot of the movie. However, studios thought this was quite obvious from the advertisement of the movie and also the title itself. So they wanted to add this sort of subplot to the movie. And Ridley Scott wasn't actually, you know, for this idea. He didn't want another subplot. He just wanted to focus more on the alien. So what they did, uh, the studios trumped him, of course and he well Ridley just wanted to focus on the characters and their relationships with each other but the studio wanted another really big subplot so they created this story of Ash um, who's played by Ian Holmes and this sort of big reveal that he's a robot or an android whatever you want to call it um, and obviously it was used in this movie and it was actually quite a good subplot that Ash turns out to be a ra- uh, robot later on because you don't really find out I mean if, if you watch it the first time you don't have a clue that he's a robot and if you think about it, it's sort of the real conflict here, and he's sort of, sort of the real villain in this movie. He represents the Whalen Company, who believes the alien in his mission and the, is, the, is the mission and should be brought back to Earth to be studied, and the crew are expendable and should bring back the alien at any cost. And Ash is the one who will make sure, you know, to see it through. So he's sort of like the spy on board the ship. And there's a lot of theories on who the villain might be, to be honest, because, you know, the alien is just trying to survive. But Dallas is the captain and he tries to force his way on knowing that the, you know, John Hurt's character is potentially contaminated. And despite Ripley saying no one's opening the hatch because he could be contaminated, they should just listen to her. So in that aspect, you could say Dallas could be the villain. Ash is definitely another option to be the villain because he definitely is the villain. But um who is the main villain we don't know i mean the xenomorph is just fighting to survive like i said earlier just in that aspect any villains that are animals or not you know um are not really villains they're just animals or monsters trying to survive kind of like king kong or godzilla they're portrayed as villains but they're not really and with ripley i mean 
you could take it with um, you could take it a bit a step further. Ripley, she takes no further action to make her point, but chooses not to confront Dallas about his decision. Uh, and this is this is all possible because of the way Ridley sort of done the development of the characters and how well we know them already in the first thirty minutes. And you got to remember, this film is two hours long with seven people in them, so we really know the ins and outs of every single character in it. And that's what Ridley does so well. He allows you, you know, you can build a relationship with every single one of them, and you know exactly their agenda for the entire movie. And, you know, with most monster movies or aliens, I guess they fall under the same category. You want to avoid showing all of the creature, just snippets of it. And it's more scarier not knowing what is after you. I mean, the creature is never really filmed directly facing the camera due to the humanoid features of its face. Now, Ridley, I mean, he said, determined at all costs to dispel any notion of a man in a rubber suit. Film the beast in varying close-up angles of its ghastly profile. Very rarely capturing the beast in its entirety. So even a scene with Dallas and the air shaft and the tracker, which is showing the movement of the aliens, is 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 showing you through a little red dot you know moving on a on a screen and that's scary itself because you know what it is in your head you've seen snippets of it but you can't quite you know you haven't really seen all of it yet so you've your mind sort of takes over and fills in those gaps and that's really scary as well um and with horror movies it's just important not to give away your tricks right away and that's why jaws was so successful in fact a lot of critics called this jaws in space a hunt for a creature that can't be seen uh, and in this case not understood but Look, the key formula for the horror genre is to use sound and the way you position a camera to invite or provoke something to scare you. I mean, what Ridley does in Alien is really focuses um, the horror film and not, it really focuses on making a horror film, not a sci fi film. And it's like I said before, he doesn't focus on the space elements in the movie. Instead, he focuses on the hunt of the creature within the ship, the lack of noises, um, the noise he chooses to do makes it that much scarier. I mean, he holds silence for as long as possible in Alien, and he does this quite well. And he does it in a few scenes to draw out the suspense and then invite the scary moment when someone knocks over something else or something falls off the ceiling and it creates a reaction simply because you've juxtaposed it with a long silence and it creates a really tense scene and it works and Ridley really plays with this notion in Alien. He uses every trick in the horror book inspired by previous horror movies and then some. And you have to remember that Ridley Scott, this was only his second feature film and he came from an advertising background so he really knew how to fit a lot in in a short amount of time. I mean the fact that this movie is now 41 years old and it's still, you know, it still feels fresh when I watched it the other night. I mean, the design of the ship, the performances, the tight confinement of trapping the audiences within the ship, creating such a tense and riveting backdrop to this hunt of this unknown character. I mean, this film is really one of a kind. It trumps all the other predecessors, even in the hands of auteurs like James Cameron and David Fincher. And what Ridley manages to do with Alien is think about every shot on screen and create a reason why it's been done that way. I mean, this is... I mean, this film has been studied and it will continue to be studied as one of the great horror movies of all time. And it will be picked apart from critics and future horror directors on how to really push for suspense and create a charged atmosphere on screen. I mean, the interior of the ship has been done on purpose to look as gritty and as old as possible. One critic called it a sweaty little world of their own. And that is exactly what the plan was. Ridley wanted to create this image that this ship has been through it all. It's been traveling for years. It's an old piece of shit but does the job and it provides a characteristic surrounding for this sort of bleak situation that they find themselves in. And I read that the interior was done by the design team, but simply, you know, they just went to an old skeleton, you know, plane yard and they used just old parts of planes and they constructed a ship with that. And it really shows. And, you know, CGI was there at the time, um, but, you know, he didn't really use it. Ridley could have easily done it with CGI, but he chose to go for a pure theatre look here and not even telling the actors what was going to happen to John Hurt when the alien explodes out of his chest. Instead, not telling any of the actors except John Hurt and then 
you know, filming their genuine reaction and using those expressions in the movie. Rather than elaborate CGI, CGI, the aliens are rubber suits and puppets. A layer of smoke was blown through the whole set to, to thin to be seen. You know, it's too thin to be seen, but enough of smoke was blown through the whole set to, to give this film a sort of gritty, murky film. It's basically a haunted house film, as other critics have suggested. It was ahead of its time. And this slow burn of a movie that ultimately gives you those sleepless, you know, sleepless nights is what makes this picture one to remember. And it's definitely up there as one of the best horror movies in history. It's very rare to get a director with the prestige of Ridley Scott to do a horror. Most directors shy away from it. If you tend to look at their earlier years, they attempt it like Spielberg with Poltergeist. But as they get more established, you know, horror movies are sort of left in the dark. And one thing is, you know, one thing is more certain, though, you know, that Ridley Scott's alien is not going anywhere. And you have to remember the famous tagline in the movie, which I think was just genius. It was, remember, no one can hear you scream in space. And I thought that was one of the best taglines done for a movie. But look, listen, that is all I'm going to talk about with Aliens. I mean, I could babble on about it, and I think I have waffled on about it too quite a lot, to be fair. But that's it for part two of our Halloween special. Try watching Alien again. It's a nice slow burner, then it expertly kicks into gear at the right time. But look, that's all I have time for with Alien. Trust me, there is a lot more to a film when you see it, and it's how you feel when you watch it. That's sort of the the main reason why we watch films, and that's the experience that you're going for to feel something. So this is Ash Harry with Film Exploration, and don't forget to review, follow, or comment on my podcast available on Spotify, iTunes, or Google. I'm also on Instagram too, Film Exploration AH, all lowercase, all one word. And thank you again for listening to Ash Harry.